founders. Welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders and fellow business builders, welcome back to the podcast. Jim Nasser joins us on Zero to 5,000 today to talk about his journey as an expert technology strategist and successful entrepreneur. Jim is well known for his founding and immense growth of our media, providing enterprise content management services for Fortune 500 companies. During his 14 years at our media, Jim expanded the company to over 100 employees and was a five-time Inc. 5000 awardee. From there, Jim worked with the CDC here in Atlanta and helped develop an open source platform that was revolutionary for their, uh, their business. Now, Jim is the founder and CEO of Acor, a healthcare-focused technology startup that uses blockchain and APIs, application program interfaces, if I'm correct, to transform the industry. Jim Nasser, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Yeah, thank you, Drew and Jordan. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And I think what's, uh, what's interesting is who we just interviewed for the podcast uh, is a man named VJ, a CEO named VJ. Uh, who is the founder of a company called Pindrop. And we were just talking with him about the work that his company has been doing to fight uh, fraud in, you know, um, in the voice context, right? So people being able to deep fake your voice and try to use your information to steal from banks and that kind of thing. And now we're talking to you, and I know it's probably not the only thing that your company does, sure. but you guys are a part of fighting the problem of misinformation and distrust over information, especially concerning the CDC. So we're gonna get into you, a lot about you and the companies you've, you've led and what you've learned, but I'd love just to geek out a little bit on what you're doing now. And if you could give us maybe a layman's uh, explanation of how you guys are using things like blockchain to really help fight that, that distrust of information and even sometimes the specific attack people use to do that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So, so let me take a step back. I think, you know, as with any other founder, you know, I think there has to be some kind of a, a genesis and like a point of origin that, that really drives you and interests you in doing anything. Yeah. Uh, I, I think most, in my experience, most people who build useful things, they need to have staying power. To have staying power is way more than the uh, extrinsic rewards and, and financials and things like this. You have to have a real kind of, you know, not to be cliche about it, real passionate about things, but, but something that they're really kind of, that you find both intellectually, emotionally um, engaging. So in, in my context, really, it's, it's about, I think there's a, there's a tremendous need and an opportunity that kind of goes with it to, to improve healthcare. You know, in the, in the U.S., I think it's, it's just criminal. The amount of money that we spend, uh, almost 20% of our gross domestic product Mm. Uh, the incredible level of inefficiency and, and really ineffectiveness. And again, unfortunately, we've, we've paid for it in our lives, right? Just, just this late uh, year alone with COVID. So, and, and I've had my, some of my own like personal kind of stories, if, if you like, to strengthen this, this thing. So, so all to say, to me, that's the thing that's interesting, that, that I think there's a real opportunity to make a difference. And, and honestly, and, and not to diminish anything I'm doing or anybody else in this space, the barriers, you know, they're, they're kind of low. 
You know, I mean, you, you go to financial service industry as an example, you know, it's, it's been highly optimized. You know, you're talking about, you know, flash trading and, and making money by nanoseconds and, and at that level mm. of, of measurement. Honestly, in, in the healthcare space, it's so inefficient, it's so bloated, it's so wrong that we just need to improve the fitness of the model by a tiny percentage to yield big results. Wow. So I kind of think that's, you know, that's, if there's anything to maybe pass on to, you know, founders, uh, people like yourselves or, or your audience is that we have an opportunity to make a difference and we don't have to be superheroes, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't have to revolutionize everything to make a difference. So, so those things, those things are in my mind, on my mind and they're kind of underneath the surface. Back to your specific question though, I think really um, in, in layman terms, we think that there is a need for providing a trust layer for transactions. Now, you know, in my world of healthcare, we see it as medical transactions. Or for instance, Drew, as example, if, if somebody is using your uh, personal health data, right? You should know about it. You know, and in fact, mm. by the way, there is a law called the Cures Act. Uh, it was initiated uh, in 2016 under this, this uh, concept of the 21st Century Cures Act, and, and now it's called the, the Cures Act rule, that, that it actually becomes like a fully embedded law, and an actionable law, January of, of next year, in 2021. But, but what that means, though, is, is that you as an individual, one, are allowed to access your health record, no matter where it is, um, at no cost and, and with no consternation, with, with no like difficulty. And then two, you have the ability to essentially allow your agent, it could be a third party like us as a software developer, it could be any number of, of people to get that information for you, but also that you need to provide consent for that information to be used. And yeah. oh, by the way, if your data is being used through to maybe drive uh, some kind of, a, of like a new drug um, innovation or, or, or uh, molecule research, well, maybe you should get some kind of, at the very least, you should know about it. It, sh- it should not just happen and, and some anonymous third party is making money on your behalf. And possibly, and, and, and why not, why should she did not have some kind of a monetization uh, angle out of this? Because ultimately, it's your data, it's your information. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not, the information doesn't belong, uh, you know, kind of to, to your healthcare provider or to the to the healthcare clinic you go to and in fact absurdly in the US yeah. by license that data belongs to the to the software manufacturer like the electronic health record manufacturer which is really weird because it, you would think they provide the least amount of value in this in this context. Yeah. All to say we think that technologies like blockchain and modern software development and APIs allow us to provide a, a way to get to this data and exchange this data in a, in a more trustful way, in a way where you don't have to take my word for it because there's essentially cryptography and, and very sophisticated computational trust engines that, that can provide that layer, so long as it's built correctly, but also that you know we can make it usable. So you don't have to like, quote, know the mumbo jumbo. You don't have to worry about secret keys and you don't have to worry about you know, like, like how you manage, what, what happens if, if you lose your phone and things like this. Because that, that's the thing that, that will dissuade you from wanting to get your information. That we want to abstract that out. We want those things to happen behind basically one layer below the surface. So, so you get the assurance and you get that trust, but you don't have to worry about it. You, you don't have to become an expert in cryptography 
in order for you to use technology that we're building. So that's yeah. really the idea is, is build uh, useful, usable, interoperable and secure kind of trustworthy technologies. And that's, that's really what we try to do. That's what we are doing. Wow. Well, two, two to three thoughts right off the bat. One is after talking to VJ and now talking to you, I am growing in comfort. And what I mean by that is we're maybe acutely aware of all the ways in which we're increasingly being screwed by, by technology or greed or whatever. And it's just been really refreshing to hear equally smart people working to counteract a lot of that, right? Whether it's protecting our personal identity and not being, you know, taken advantage of like Pendrop's doing and now giving us more power and access to our healthcare information and some protection around that is amazing. So that's one. Uh, two, it's interesting to me to see, and I, I thought this would happen, but the blockchain technology that was and still is associated first with kind of the currency exchange of things like Bitcoin, yeah. now finding other applications outside of just in a currency exchange is super interesting to me. Uh, but three, I noticed even on your website that the application of some of this technology has even found its way to like getting relevant or accurate information like on the coronavirus, right? On, on up-to-date statistics that you could trust. So could you even Absolutely. talk about that for a second? Absolutely. You know, I mean, ultimately, uh, and let me take a step back because this is kind of a, it's a little bit of a misnomer. And to be honest with you, I feel like it's kind of a disservice to, to blockchain because yes, you know, obviously most of us know that, that uh, blockchain kind of came into our recognition uh, really through Bitcoin, right? Through the right. Satoshi Nakamoto white paper and, and Bitcoin, and, and which, by the way, even to this day, Bitcoin is an incredible reference for what blockchain can do. However, its purpose, its singular purpose, really was, was to create this cryptocurrency, right? Uh, but, but somewhere along the way, you know, we kind of lost our way as an industry, we kind of lost our way, right? Because then it kind of became about, well, you know, how can we use this technology and essentially fabricate or manufacture like a whole set of, of essentially largely kind of um, unsubstantiated businesses, current, quote, currencies and, and ways to generate revenue for, for outfits that really had not proven that they actually, you know, merited value. Mm. And, and that was the whole ICO period, like from 2017 through like, you know, mid-2018 and then hitting the winter of cryptocurrencies. But to me, though, the, the thing that kind of gets lost, you know, in this narrative is that blockchain as an underlying technology and set of protocols, and really, I think of it as, as three things, you know, blockchain. One is, is, is kind of really, really technology, it's, it's larger cryptography, right? Uh, and it's distributed systems, architecture, and things like this, not to get very technical, you know. Second thing, though, is, is this idea of, of, you know, essentially attributing value to who creates value. So, so basically value creation attribution. And that's really yep. what, what Bitcoin did incredibly well, right? This idea of, of you solve a mathematical challenge and you get rewarded by Bitcoins. That provides a game theory, the incentive for you to go and make the $20,000 investment to buy a GPU, Bearing up a whole lot of electricity to be able to then get that 12 and a half Bitcoin and then get the additional rewards. So that's a fundamentally critical idea because what that means is that essentially tens of thousands of, of nodes or people like us can be in this, this 
you know, gaming situation where we're competing and possibly cooperating, but we don't need to collude, right? And because if we collude, that's the thing that breaks the trust, right? Again, not to get into all, all of the technical details. The third pillar in, in this blockchain idea is, is this idea of decentralization, which is very important because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We, we use tools like Facebook, right? And you may have seen uh, this documentary on Netflix recently, the, the social dilemma, social network dilemma, I think. But, but Facebook has an incredible amount of control over us. Amazon right. has an unbelievable amount of control. And we have essentially enabled, you know, we have, and to me, it's just, it's almost criminal that where the rest of economy and, and all of us average people have been suffering over the last like six, seven, eight months, that the, the top technology firms not only have been not suffering, but they have just so disproportionately benefited. I mean, it's, it's like, how is that even remotely possible? But, yeah. but they have so much control. So, so all to say, this idea of decentralized kind of operations, but also decentralizing like, like the source of information. And, and, and like, if you like to, in simple ways, instead of like one giant Amazon data center, you could have a thousand little databases that contain your information. And that's where the whole idea of the replicated uh, ledger kind of comes in. What that also offers you is far greater security because, you know, as opposed to one like, a hacker or hacking outfit trying to break into uh, a giant data center to break into this, this one database that has millions of, of patient records, as an example, you may not have to break into 10,000 phones uh, and, and what? To, to steal one person's information on that phone. Very different set of scenarios and, and the economics don't really uh, kind of match up. So all to say, you know, I, I wanted to kind of just take away this, this misnomer of, of like blockchain being tied to cryptocurrency. Back to your point though, is, is that we, we think if you look at blockchain and, and the, the way I've described it as, as really being a way to impute trust and computational trust, not Jim, don't, don't trust Jim. I mean, yeah, I'm a good guy. You get your guys are good guys, but, but we're human, you know, and, and even if yeah. you were trustworthy, we, we can make errors, right? But we're saying, you know what, let's, let's rely on computational trust that comes from cryptography, open source code that has been interrogated by tens of thousands of people, right? And then now, if you can, if you can basically build that into your solution, whether it's for uh, uh, kind of like authenticity of medical transactions, or whether it's, it's for, uh, if you like, detecting and proving fake news versus authentic news. And by the way, we're working right now with, with a journalist group in, in Asia exactly on this because it's such an enormous issue. And of course, with the elections, you know, right here in the U.S., it's, it's even more topical. So, so that's really the idea. Is, is this is a this is an infrastructure and, and really a tool for us to apply in different use cases. I think what we've got to do to really kind of get into it is understand how do we make it practical so it doesn't require you know genius. You don't need to have like your 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 own personal like computer genius you know along to, to make it work. Secondly, how do we make it cost and and like cost and access effective, right? Because if you cannot do it then it's just a theoretical concept. Right? That then again ironically becomes a playground for the Googles of the world and not, not like the average startup, right? You, you look at machine learning and, and AI and things like this. And unfortunately, when you come down to it, I mean, we do this ourselves. 
the, the majority, the experts in machine learning and, and deep learning and, and all of these very exciting uh, areas of, of computational innovation, the majority of them are hired by like five or six giant tech companies, right? So, so there, there's a real kind of lack of, of equity on, on concepts versus application execution of concepts. So, so to me, again, this is, this is an area where I think we can, we can play hopefully on a more level playing field where, where we abstract these things as infrastructure, just like the internet itself, right? You know, you don't have to be an expert in internet protocols to use it. And that's really the concept is, is can we use blockchain and impute computational trust without needing to be experts in every element of the technology as, as an application builder? Yeah. So it's all to say, you know, but we think there's a number of use cases, you know, healthcare is our focus from a vertical perspective, but, but certainly fake news is a big area. One of our newest clients is NASA. So we're working with them on, on some other aspects of, of again, tracking, um, you know, kind of uh, basically space related yeah. information uh, using blockchain and things like this. But, but all to say, that I think the limitations in some ways are, are kind of um, really down to your imagination and what, yeah. what you can economically kind of propose to do to people who could be interested in it. Yeah, that was uh, before I even change, change gears a little bit. I'm sure Drew has some, some questions to bring up. But one of the things, uh, I do love this. I think uh, even listening, doing some research on you, the background was I think 2012, 2013 is when you uh, learned about blockchain or at least maybe had your first opportunity and it wasn't until like 2015 or something that you kind of dove in. Uh, I still, I, I still re even regret what I learned. I, it was 2013 for me where a guy was talking about blockchain. He wanted to get his PhD. He couldn't, he couldn't even get that anywhere. People were like, no, that's not even a, a thing. You, why would you do that? And uh, he's currently proven to be, uh, to be ahead of his time. And uh, so Jess, no you're out there. Good job, buddy. Um, but a no funny app no that I'm just curious about this, mainly just because I think it's fun. And you're somebody that I could actually talk to about it that wouldn't necessarily be uh, weirded out. Is just the gaming world in and of itself. Decentraland is is what I'm familiar with, where you can actually go and buy your own platform or your own piece of land inside the the blockchain that they've created this universe. And is that the future of, of gaming, which is just a, that's a funny sidebar thing, but the application side of it and almost yeah. that making it for the user, that usability thing that you're talking about, that the just common everyday person could interact and engage with it yeah. does have my curiosity. And uh, so, yeah, is that something you've even paid attention to? That seems like a, a very fun, not as meaningful uh, impact as what you guys are doing in terms of how it could change the world, but it does seem like a world-changing type move. Yeah, sorry, but I kind of lost you momentarily. But uh, no, I mean, you know, honestly, uh, Jordan, there are so many opportunities. And, and really, when you, if you look at it, the opportunity kind of can be thought about in, in this, like reversing the current model and thinking, but would that make sense? Like, uh, you know, so I'll give you an example. So let's take Uber as example or, or Lyft, right? So um, who are the people taking the biggest risks, right? The drivers and the passengers, right? Yeah. Th those are, yet Uber and Lyft make 30% of every one of those drives, right? And build mm. these gigantic, you know, gigantic organizations. Right. Um, so 
It's not to say what they do doesn't have value, but the question is, is there a commensurate 30% drag forever for what they're providing, right? right. Is that equitable? And, you know, and like I, along with many other people think, you know, no, that's not equitable, right? That, that doesn't make sense because really essentially they're, they're arbitrate. They are the middle person. They're arbitrating yeah. you and I taking risks, right. taking action, and they're profiting almost not, not without risk, but with far less risk, yeah. right? They have the profit. Yeah. So, so the idea is, well, what if instead of one giant Uber or one giant EA, you know, cloud server or stream or whatever, however you want to, or whatever is, is your kind of weapon of choice, you have 10,000 little ones that all work together. And that's really the whole concept of, of distributed computing architecture, which now means your, first of all, your initial investment is far lower, right? Because instead of having to spend like $10 million to build one giant uh, like uh, cloud instance and, and, and all of the things that goes with it, maybe you're working with a hundred or a or, or thousand much smaller um, you know, servers or even phones, right? That are providing the, the computational power um, and some of the expertise. Right. But then in order to and really look at it economically, is this idea that, well, what if, if doing this, now the cost, the surcharge of this transaction goes from 30% to 3%. That's much more commensurate where we're now, and, and oh, by the way, if you are like, let's say just using kind of the, the, the nomenclature here, if you're like a, a right node, if, if you do more work, if you spend more electricity, you have more GPUs, you're providing more value, well, why don't you, you know, Jordan, why don't you get more rewards than me? Because I'm just a read node, you know, in this, in this 10,000 yep. node network yep. that we have set up, which means we can still use game theory to incentivize, you know, more, more output and, and, and good actors. And we can also use the same game theory to disincentivize freeloaders, right? Or, or bad actors. So love that. Yes. Yeah, so to me, this is what we're kind of talking about. It's what, what, what is exciting. It's so much more in cryptocurrency because what we're saying is, isn't it enough that, that we have, you know, we have made, you know, people like Jeff Bezos, you know, like, like a, a bazillionaire, you know, yeah, I mean, whatever. He's, he's, has he done enough for the world to justify him as a single person being worth that much money? You know, I would say most people would say no. Yeah, I mean, nobody is to say, this is not to discredit any of these people that done great work. But the question is, has any one person or one one actor provide provided damn much value to the world? Right. You know, and, and yeah, I think in almost every case the answer is no. It's it's just disproportionate. And then this this other question of like, well, does this even make sense? Is this the way we want to go forward? Do we want to trust our entire lives, you know, with one or two giant companies? Like, is is Mark Zuckerberg, you know, the designated like like guardian of humanity? You know, and I think to me, that's just garbage. Yes. Wow. Man, I have tons of thoughts on this, but it's not the, the podcast for it. Uh, I, would, I could just geek out with you all day long on yeah. this and all the social implications of things. And uh, maybe we'll have to do a separate podcast to follow up on this. But uh, I want to change gears just a little bit. One, sure. because my brain's starting to hurt. And that's on me. I was born without a, with a lower IQ than people <laughs> like you. Uh, but two, modest. <laughs> but two um, is because we're talking to you first as a technologist. Yeah. 
which is clear your passion, your industry knowledge, even the visionary aspect of where you see technology going and your role in it. But now I want to shift gears to something a lot of people listening will have in common, which is you as a CEO, a CTO at times, someone that's been actually a leader in a business uh, who's having to think more than just about the product or the service or the technology, but also about things like culture and leadership and business strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we want to really focus the, the rest of our time there. And I'd love to start with you. Sure. You know, one of our theories as uh, Jordan and I are coaches for fast growing companies and their executive teams and things like that is that to lead others well, you have to also be able to lead yourself well, right? Okay. And that there needs Absolutely. to be a self-awareness of, of self, of business, of situation, of team. And so I'm just curious about you and maybe just a, a general softball that you can take it wherever you want. But what have you learned about you, whether it's processes, systems, your schedule, habits? What are some of the things that are kind of critical for you to show up as your best self, whether to, to handle any challenge in front of you, whether it's a business challenge or an opportunity or things like that. Let's just, we'll just start there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I would say like, I think of every day as, as an opportunity to, to really continue learning. Unfortunately, as I age, I realize that since I've lost more along the way during the day I have to like like feed it back it's, it's not to get to like a net positive it's just to diminish the net negative you know <laughs> um yes. so so in in but but joking uh aside to me this idea of, of like continuing to learn continue to and I don't mean just functionally I mean I mean holistically mm. is really like it's part of my DNA this is the way I think you know I, I grew up um, you know, playing sports, I played soccer at a pretty high level and, and really throughout all of it, it was, it was, I always saw it as like, it was an opportunity to get better. And, and, and I liked, I liked hard work. It was, it was never a question of like, to me, the hard work in of itself had rewards, right? I think, yes, I see this a lot with, with um, and again, I'm, I don't mean to be disparaging to anyone or whatever, but I, I talked to some other founders or whatever. And, and you know, and it, it seems to me based on, on the narrative that they are measuring the value of, of what, who they are, what they're doing, their companies based on like what their seed round is, you know, and, and if your seed round is, you know, X more than whatever, therefore you're more or less successful. I just don't see it that way at all. You know, I, I think to me that there is a, you know, like, like the journey needs to be worth every minute. Otherwise I'm not the, the extrinsic rewards, whatever they may or may not be. I just not going to motivate me enough. Yeah. I'm very much intrinsically motivated. And I feel like a lot of people I know and respect a lot are kind of like that. They are, they are intrinsically motivated. They would do it regardless of the rewards and, and they would do it with this idea of that, even the learning, even the, 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 the ups and downs has so much value that that, that in a, itself justifies, you know, mm. putting the effort in. Now, of course, not blindly. I'm not suggesting, you know, you dedicate your life and banging your head on the wall and expect that things will improve. You know, that, right. that won't be the case. Right. right. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing, you know, and, and I'm a really big believer in this, this idea of, of the power of the habit, you know, and... and a bunch of people have, have written really good books about this. Uh, I read a lot of books in general. So I love The, the Power of the Habit by Charles Duhigg. Uh, yep. That's one of my favorite books. Uh, you know, I've read other books. But I kind of like this idea of how do I 
essentially, so, you know, you guys probably know this really well. So Daniel Kahneman talks about, you know, system A and system B, right? Or system one and system two. Yep. So we are designed as, as humans to, to really be very much system A oriented, right? Which is, you know, um, fight or flight, instinct, right? Yep. And, and but, but the thing is, unfortunately, we are not, you know, cavemen and fight or flight, that, that, that kind of a binary, you know, that mindset doesn't really serve us well, not, not for most of us anyway, right? So this idea of like, how do I, how do I take something that's intuitively and inherently difficult, which is system B thinking, like considerate, determined, intentional Logical. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really effortful, right? Because effortful is, is a hard one. How do I take something like that and essentially break it down into a series of small habits? Because the small habits become system A, but the cumulative becomes system B. You know what I'm saying? So if I get into good habits and those habits ultimately kind of like, you know, five or six or seven or eight or 12 habits kind of ultimately lead into me kind of doing things in a way that that's more effortful and more, you know, more considered, then I feel like, I kind of get to that objective without, without everything being like really frictioning, without every decision requiring like, you know, a lot of my, my brain wear. So I'll give you a little, yeah. just a simple example. I think this is a good example. Uh, I learned, I think from Atomic, um, uh, Atomic the, Habits. The book, Atomic Habits, yeah, exactly. But so, so I do quite a bit of, I, I work out and I just believe in being active. And I think, you know, kind of, um, by being, and there's a lot of science behind this, obviously, yeah. but by being active, you're really feeding your mind as well. You're, you know, being healthy allows you to think better. But so, so I do quite a bit of kickboxing, right? I, I like to do it and nice. I take my son and we do it, you know, on a regular basis. But what I've learned is that the trigger for me to complete kickboxing, right, to do it is literally to get into my car. Once I'm in my car, it's automatic. Yeah. I mean, yep. if it doesn't fail, and, and to give you a perspective, over the last like three years, I've probably gone to like 400 sessions. So it's not like yeah. it's the, the data isn't based on like, you know, one or two weeks or one or two months, you know, several years. Mm -hmm. so, so, so what I try to do is what does it take me to get into my car? Because I know what's in my, my car. Now I'm going to accomplish something that most people consider as arduous and difficult. So that's the way I think about it is breaking it down into like, what is the, 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 the tiny habit, you know, that, that I can, I can, really get good at that then would trigger other things happening and, and yeah. would save me from doing like effortful system B thinking, but actually would lead me on a path. So that's it. The, the other, the third thing that I kind of really believe in, you know, in terms of like, you know, kind of how I operate and, and uh, hopefully how my team operates is this idea of like, you know, we are all CEO of, of me, Inc. you know, and Tom Peters does a really good job talking about this. So I don't talk to my, my, employees over the course of time about this, that, you know, there is, you know, if, if there's Acor Inc, within it, there's Jim Inc, there's Ben Inc, there's Ashley, yes. and so on and so forth. We are all CEOs of our own corporation within a, a kind of a, a, a co-op, like, like, it's like, like sparrows flying. We're not like one entity, but we fly in the same direction and we adjust yes. as, as the winds move. So, but in order for us to, be, to do that, we have to have good amount of autonomy and good amount of ownership and good amount of like intellectual buying to the process as, a, as an individual. So I really kind of believe in that and try to encourage that, yeah. you know, with, with our employees and I myself too, this, this idea of like, you know, 
and it's, it seems like being accountable or whatever, but it's really, to me, it's, it's about being intentional, right? Like, yeah. so, right, well, what is my intention, first of all? I mean, you can't be accountable. You know, again, I'm a big believer in things like clarity is power. Like, you know, I often say this to my friends and my employees that, you know, I may not be right, but I'm not confused. Yes. You know, you know so, so yeah. many times we kind of, we can be splitting hairs about like, well, is this really right? Or is this right? Especially where, where the, it's a big gradient. I kind of feel like that's wasted time and wasted energy. I kind of mm-hmm. feel like it's important to have clarity, especially where, where things are very subjective. Because that, that kind of clarity allows you to, to you know, identify with what it is that you want to do and then go on, you know, project it. So yeah, like that, those are the kind of ways I, I, I really kind of, I guess, you know, try and drive myself. Yeah. Well, the right or wrong decision, that's back to binary, right? If you get stuck in that, you can't elevate yeah. that. Um, you know, and it's, it's very, I mean, these days, you know, yes, of course, there, there are many areas where, where it's clear right and wrong, yeah. but there are many other areas, particularly creative areas, where, where it's really either it's, it's, it's truly a gradient yeah. or it's, it's really a matter of opinion or matter of, of more informed opinion over the course of time. Yeah. But, but you cannot be in, in paralysis, you know, analysis paralysis, right? Because yeah. then you get nothing accomplished. Then yeah. all you're doing is, is Monday morning quarterbacking. And that to me, you know, it's just, that's how the yeah. way I operate. I love it. And man, this is so good because the, what you're talking about with the habits, the way it was even taught to me that has been transformational is very, is very, very similar. But it was taught to me as uh, emergent properties was kind of the clue. And, and the, the thought that like, hey, change is inevitable. Like our world is going to change no matter what. Your life is going to change no matter what. You know, you're going to get older and you're going to experience changes. And, and that has become very true for, for me in life. And that change is just going to happen. But that the transformation side of things is actually a choice. Like you actually can transformation, especially in our world. You know, we're, we're coaches. We work on, we're, we're targeting transformation for people's lives. But most people quickly like tune out. They think that that's soft and like uh, unhackable. Like you can't, you can't actually science your way through that. But emergent properties tells us the other way around is like, hey, we know that if you take a couple hydrogen atoms and some oxygen, like something emerges above that and they call it a water molecule and you keep going from there. Like eventually you have an entire body that's built called a human and these, these things emerge at these higher levels. And so it has been, it has been helpful to think through, okay, what are the steps? What are the, the pieces that I need to piece together to emerge at that other level? And so breaking down your habits to do that effortful thinking to go, okay, this is the result that I need. How do I break it down? So for mm. me, it was it was a whole routine from like sleep to exercise to how do I show up at my very best to begin my work day? And then you just start breaking it down and you think that it's just about that first hour or maybe what you choose for breakfast or you're working out. And I keep going back and back and further and further. And now it's like, at what time do I go to bed? And what am I doing right before I go to bed? And I keep working. I'm like, I'm eventually going to show up all the way back around at the beginning of my day again. And how do I spend those? You know, and actually, I've already kind of broken down how to spend my first few hours of the day. But I have found that fascinating as this thought of like, actually, the one individual habit in and of itself is, is dynamic. People have plenty of troubles there. But when you start stacking them, yeah. you actually will emerge at a different level. You go, oh, that's your transformation. I'm, I really am a different person because I've set up all these subconscious kind of habitual things, upgraded all my habits is, uh, is powerful. Yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious yes. just at a, at a high level. You don't even have to necessarily, I think they'll probably be obvious, but you don't have to explain why each one. But I am sure. curious if you were to think, if you were to zoom out and look at you, maybe in this current season of life, 
what are the critical habits that add up to be really effective for you? You mentioned one was exercise. Yeah. Anything else that like you see as almost anchors for you? Yeah, you know, I would say for sure exercise for me, just because to me, you know, I, I kind of I like measurable things. I'm, I am a data oriented person, and I do believe in science. Um, and I kind of, you know, especially these days with with all the wearables and everything like this, uh, you know, you, you can really be very uh, surgical about. Um, and very kind of measured about what is progress. And, and you know, I kind of like this, and I talked to my, my kids about this, this idea of, of you know, winning biggest winning, right? Um, and, you know, we define, we define what a win is, right? And so long as it's legitimate and you don't give yourself a pass, because then it's the exact opposite effect. It doesn't motivate. It's a negative, right. right? Right. It becomes a kind of a, a self-fulfilling and like a vicious cycle. Then, then you can kind of like look at it and say, all right, well, this is actually like materially moving me forward. I'm, I'm getting closer to whatever I want to do. So, you know, I did, I think uh, kind of other than um, the, uh, the, the kind of being active and my, my physical kind of routine and things, you know, one of the things that, that I've found is um, this, this idea of showing up. Right. You know, it seems really like kind of mundane and, and um, you know, like, duh. <laughs> but uh, but but I think, you know, the more you show up, the more you showing up, even if the conditions are tough, even even if your clients are mad at you and yell at you because something's broken, the more you show up, the more resilient you are, the more you're able to deal with whatever the ups and downs of the moments are and the more strength you're building. And also conversely, I think the more you're going to impute that kind of leadership to your team, right? Yeah. Because you are showing up, you know, and, and again, you don't have to be a superhero. This is not to say like, you know, you show up and, and you take control of everything because you're called the CEO or the founder or whatever. I think many times it can be, and I've seen this, you know, in every variations of it, you can be so, um, and it could be just because you're enthusiastic, whatever, but, but so overwhelming and so um, just, I don't know, like, like singular in, in, in how you act that, that you, you really kind of like, you, you kind of basically dim out your team. And then as a result, everybody suffers, right? Mm. It's not, that's not a good situation. But I think just showing up, being able to kind of listen, being able to do what you're supposed to do, and doing it day after day after day after day, you know, and I guess there's a lot to be said for that. So I try and do that, you know, like, so it, it could be simple that. things like, like being at a stand-up mean, meetings all, always, you know, not giving myself an excuse because I'm not like, you know, I'm not feeling well, whatever. I think there's, there's it's, as humans, it's easy for us to give, give ourselves a pass, but, you know, one day can become two days, can become a week, can become a month. And before you know it, that's the life that you're leading. So I don't, you know, I try not to be like that. You know, I, I didn't know that. I think it's, it's really just, um, I think fundamentally that there's, there's something to be said for being, um, just, just having introspection. You know, I, yeah. I think I, I kind of, I think a lot of leaders, um, the, the ones I really respect, they talk less, they listen more, you know, and when they talk, it's 
like you pay attention because it's important because they don't yeah. talk all the time, right? Yeah. So I, I kind of, I really like that. I try and like tell that to myself, uh, you know, because then, then you learn more from, from you know, other, other people. But, but you know, I, I think this idea of introspection also allows you to, to kind of really be real with yourself on, on like, what is it that you actually want to do? Because yeah, as, as a CEO or a founder, you could do everything. You could right. interfere, intermingle with absolutely everything. But that doesn't mean that's what you should be doing. You know, yeah. so I try and really think about that. Man, several things you said there. Again, I'm, I'm, my list is getting longer of things I want to circle back to. Um, this is so good. But the first is, is when you were talking about showing up and how important that is. Uh, I mean, if you think about anything in life, it requires consistently showing up for that thing to be vital and alive, right? Like I, I like to think about there's two ways that something can be destroyed. One is through active or I guess you would say active harm. Like you're doing something either intentionally or unintentionally that's harming the thing the area of your life or your garden or whatever, right? But the other way, the sneaky way is actually neglect. Like many things can die from no act of harm, but from simply your lack of presence, right? Relationships can die from neglect. Business relationships can die from neglect. Cancer can grow in your organization if you don't address it, if you don't show up to it, right? And that's the sneaky one is, is what happens when we just get in that habit of avoiding, that habit of taking time off, you know, and turning a blind eye, that kind of thing. So uh, I think that's really, really powerful and not, not simple and no brainer. Like you said, I think it's hard for us and it takes that mental muscle of choosing to kind of face conflict or face challenge again and again. Um, but also what I want to go back to is something you mentioned earlier, that even with your kids, you were working on defining what a win is. And you said earlier, many people define success by how much money they raise in their series A round and that kind of thing. And I know you said yours is more intrinsic, but I'd love just to give maybe a few examples. Like, what do you actually consider success? Is there anything that you do look to and you measure? Is it impact you're making? Is it um, fulfillment from the job? Like, what are the kind of things that, that signal to you, hey, things are going well and this is successful. This is a good use of my time versus not. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a really good question. So, you know, I, I mean, it's, there, there's a bit of a paradox here and I, I don't want to mislead you or your audience in, in terms of like, yeah, okay, you know, I'm not really motivated or we're not really motivated by, by these like numbers or whatever, but, but yet obviously we want to have a successful business. So I am very goal-oriented and we do spend time coming up with goals. However, the definition of success within those goals is not necessarily all financial. In fact, many times it's not financial, it's just one element of it, but there's many other elements. So for instance, um, like the kind of, of penetration we have in the space that we want to break into, uh, the specific clients we're pursuing. The, and, and this is something that, again, as, as time has gone on, it's become more and more important to me. The quote impact, right? Because you know, I can, I can pretty much tell you, uh, you know, Drew, maybe 15 years ago, whenever, when I was in the early days of our media, I mean, was impact something of notes and, and something of, of um, I guess, um, articulation? Value. Yes. But was it really like something that, that we actually applied our trade on? No, that's the truth, yeah. right? Whereas I think now, you know, and maybe it's just a different phase of life and, and different means and different opportunities. Uh, I kind of like, to me, actually making an impact is, is very, very core to what I want to do. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's very much a lens with which we look at our work. Like you mentioned the coronavirus tracker that, that we have on our website. I believe outside of Johns Hopkins, we were one of the very first, if not the first, you know, company to do this. Obviously, there's no monitoring angle for us. We've been doing it at our own cost for six, seven months now, right? And we have a we put every transaction on the blockchain, so it's expensive for us, right? Yeah, yeah. But even if one or two people look at it and say, you know what, the data they're representing here is clear. It, it helps me understand what's going on. You know, it, it's improving something. You know, our awareness. And we've heard many, many people say that. You know, over the course of time. That to me is, is, is a metric that is, that, that, that is mapping to our goals, right? Mm. So, 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 you know, if I, you know, look at our goals for the year, you know, I can, I can basically, you know, kind of cross-reference some of these, these things to back to those objectives, you know? And again, so I think there's a way you can find a balance between not being just like your bottom line or top line or your margin or whatever it is your financial metric of goal is or, or uh, financial uh, kind of goal or, or metrics are, you know, and, and also still incorporate some, some data and, and some, some objectivity as, you know, I, I don't think it can be just like, you know, do good work. I think it's yeah. just way too general. Yeah. I, I think I'm a big believer in uh, specificity. I'm just saying that in, in, in our world, that specificity is not measured just by the dollars yeah, that yeah. you have on your top line or bottom line. Which and we've probably mentioned this a few times on our podcast already, so the, the audience will, will know this, but one of the, some of the best advice we've gotten during this COVID uh, time was from a CEO who said, uh, personally, he actually just said it to Drew and I in a, in a, a mentoring call that we set up with him, gosh, uh, less than four weeks from like the second week of March. And he just said, hey, the number one thing you're going to have to do is to keep score differently. Those people who keep score the same are going to struggle if it's just on dollars and cents. And so for us, measuring impact um, in, in ways like what were the stories that we wanted to hear, uh, and then even just measure, measuring productivity uh, in, a, in a unique way. You know, we used uh, Sprint format to, to gain just like product stories and how are we able to, to do that. And even in our own world, we were able to track our productivity and said, okay, even though we just got punched in the gut financially in March, you know, how did we do? And we're still and now- showing up and working hard and we can measure that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let, let me give you a, a, a thing. I feel like I need to give you a, a really like very specific numbers example of, you know, yeah. kind of mapping this idea of a, of a goal to an object, to something that, that we're trying to achieve and an objective that we're really going for. So at the beginning of the year, you know, we have these products that, as I mentioned in the beginning, basically record references to transactions within our systems or our client systems on the, on the blockchain to prove the authenticity of, of the transaction. So well, we have this, this product called Hashlog that, that does that for you know, for uh, health transactions. So at the beginning of the year, we have this, this set of services called data stamping, which basically means that a transaction, a data transaction, we're able to stamp it with a unique ID, if you like, that, and that unique ID is recorded on a blockchain. So, you know, beginning of the year, our, our objective was by the end of 2020 to have at least a half a million, basically, production or really what we call mainnet transactions, which means transactions that are on a public blockchain that anybody can interrogate and verify that what we're saying is actually legit. So 
that was our goal for the entire year. As of, I think, beginning of this week, we're at 2.4 million transactions on the mainnet. Wow. So that, to me, you know, is, is an incredibly like powerful accomplishment, but it's one that's very much in line with the objectives that we had as a business. And if, if somebody, like if I'm talking in the blockchain crowd or with potential investors, if they understand the implications of that, they will realize that that number is a significant number. So, so then, so, so, you know, hopefully that, that kind of helps you understand. Absolutely. Yeah, that's and I feel like, like, like a 2.4 million, and probably by the time the year is out, it could be at the rate we're going somewhere around 10 million transactions on the mainnet. That is a huge, like, um, point of, of reference or inflection to prove these ideas at a bigger scale, to prove that blockchain as a, as a layer of trust for real-time systems in healthcare can actually work because many people contest that it's, it's just, you know, fantasy or it's 10 years out or whatever. And, and to me, it's like, okay, well, let's see if, if we can prove or disprove these ideas. But as we do more and more, I have more like real, like, tools in my arsenal or, or like weapons in my, in my toolkit to go and tell people and say, look, this is a reality and we can prove it to you. So yeah. those are the things I'm really excited about because yes, it's not financial per se, but, but it certainly has financial implications. Mm. Well, I want to just touch on the topic real quick uh, before we move on back on this idea of what matters, you know, how do you measure success? And I feel like there's three components to it that are emerging in this conversation and that I've seen play out outside this conversation, which is if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to have some sort of positive connection to fulfillment in terms of success, you need three things. You need to know what matters. You need to be able to measure what matters and you need to be able to master what matters. Right. And none of those are a given as I've seen. Like the first is like, often we don't know what matters. Like we haven't taken the time to ask like what matters most in my company right now, or what matters most in my life. And I love you said it, it might actually change depending on season, circumstance, stage of life. And you might need to update your version of success based on how you've evolved as a person or changed as a culture. So that's the first one. Do we even know what matters? Then the second one is, are we actually measuring what matters? Right? We talk about the, that often is like, you need to measure what matters because what measures, what gets measured can get managed. Right. And we can actually get feedback and know whether we're hitting the goal or not hitting the goal. And that leads to the third is every time somebody masters something that matters, right? Every time you feel some level of proficiency growing in an area you care about, it could be kickboxing. Yeah. You know, ultimately it's not changing the world or you're going to fight for a world title as a kickboxer, yeah. Yeah. but it matters to you. And as you show up and get more proficiency, there's a level of fulfillment that comes in you showing up to an area that matters. So, um, is that, is that, have you seen that as well? Does that seem like a lot of way to think about it? You know, it's funny because like in my mind, um, you know, the, the first, if you like, the first pillar in this, this you know, kind of uh, um, triangle of, of, of connected interpillars, this idea of, of like knowing what matters. This is where many people struggle and you can struggle at, and also frankly, as a founder or CEO, you can very, very easily kind of um, delude yourself into drinking a Kool-Aid and thinking you know what matters, but not really knowing what matters. This yeah. kind of goes back to my idea of clarity. And, and I'm really honestly, and I see it a lot, even, even with very bright people and building software and things, is, is this idea that um, really I feel like many people just don't 
think that much anymore. And and you can kind of see, right? All of us are, you know, all of us are kind of like uh, servants, you know, to our master, right? We're yeah, the phone. The master. Um, and, exactly. and our life is a series of, of transactional nanosecond or, or sub-second decision-making and processes, you know, and, and very much suboptimal thinking or non-thinking. And I kind of feel like, you know, if that's the norm that, that you're in, you know, you're really somebody else, you know, it's, it's Zuckerberg and Bezos and Cook who are carving your path, not you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, have you we're, seen we're the... With the product? You know, it's, it's Larry Page, you know, who's, who's making, you know, the trillions of dollars. We are just as minions. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm slightly exaggerating, but not that much. Right. Um, so I kind of feel like that's the first thing is, is like, what the hell is it I, I, I want to do? Doesn't matter. Am I drinking my own Kool Aid? I think those are like, I, I mentioned this idea of introspection. Um, you know, I think one wants to do that, that this, this kind of the, the procession they described makes sense. I really like this idea of mastery. But, you know, again, Dan Pink talks about this, this idea of, of like, you know, in, in his book, Drive, he talks about Drive, this. Yeah. Um, but this idea that, that like autonomy, mastery, these are like, these are the things that drive us intrinsically. Yes. These are the things that, that we, we do because we can intuitively tell that it's good for us. It, it, it like, you know, this is, this is the gig, basically. This is the thing that keeps us up and, and makes yeah. us happy. And I really like that because, you know, regardless of what it is you're doing, you know, it could be kickboxing or whatever. If, if you think about it clearly enough, you'll know that there is a huge runway right? The, the runway doesn't end just because you stop running. So, mm, you know, mm. I think I like that idea. I think so. So I kind of buy into it. But, but to me, everything yeah. kind of starts with, with can you articulate things clearly? And then if you can articulate to yourself clearly, then can you then project and articulate and negotiate and debate and balance with the rest of your team clearly? Mm. Because, you know, it's never about one person, right? You know, one person did not a company make. Yeah. And that's what I want to get to now. But just to wrap that up, yeah, that Daniel Pink, uh, I, I believe it was, like I said, autonomy, mastery, and I think mission. It was like three things where it's yeah. like you have to feel like your thumbprints, your fingerprints are on it. Like I had some autonomy to do it my way. Yeah. Second, I, had, I, I was developing or experiencing some mastery. And the third was that what I was doing mattered. Right? That's what we've been talking about. Like, yeah. But I feel like my work matters. And matters could be totally subjective. Yes. But it needs to matter to me and matter to the world to some degree. Yes. Uh, and then what you said at the beginning – are you familiar with Cal Newport's book, Deep Work? Um, I have heard of it. I've not read it, to be honest. No. It's, uh, it's pretty fascinating. It's a lot of what you're talking about. I think you would really enjoy it. But he's, he's basically never been on social media. And he was around even the guys that founded it. And doesn't really have a moral, even though he could have a moral objection to it. But he yeah. more just kind of saw almost the tea leaves of like the people around him. And yeah. was like, wow, this seems to like really be sucking up a whole lot of time and attention. And so he, he, his hypothesis is that more than ever, we are experiencing com complex problems that would require deep thinking and out-of-the-box solutions. But we've been given a culture that is increasingly diluting our ability to think for long periods of time, to focus for long periods of time. And that's why there's a lot of chaos right now. And yeah, no, no doubt. And I think, to me, the really insidious part of all this, and I know this because 
this is the world that we're in and you know we invariably know this is that there are incredibly bright people the analogy i would make in, in the software world is the same analogy if you like or the same um insidious factors for um basically like um kind of snack makers and and like you know kind of fast food makers right in the software industry we, we have an army of, of incredibly bright people whose number one objective is to get us to do what they want us to do to, yeah. be, to make us addicted to make us mindless same thing in, in, in the, the fast food and snack industry is to get us addicted to sugars, you know, that, that, that rush, that, that, you know, it's just an addiction. It, it becomes a biological addiction. It's the same yeah. thing. And it's, and it's incredibly bright people, just, just like, you know, at, you know, at these uh, um, snack companies or whatever, they have incredibly bright chemists experimenting with, with all kinds of ingredients. It's the same thing. They're, they're, they're tweaking the heck out of, of the, the, social and emotional experience to to basically make us and to tap into our like most inner like like yeah. human um kind of I, I don't know like 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 um um sub um kind of intellectual behavior right which is like core to how we're like how we grew up over generations mm -hmm. but using it in, in a way that's really just I mean, to me, especially when you like, I mean, I have kids and stuff, right? When, when I look at, you know, how these kids are, are just like addicted to this stuff and, and, and most of us, our, our, our entire kind of culture has become, you know, kind of oriented on, on these, these very ephemeral kind of, of experiences mm -hmm. that, you know, it's a very, very uphill battle. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. You, got, you have the world's brightest people essentially ganging up on you. Yeah, using yeah. even... Using even um research and technology associated with the casino and the gaming industry exactly oh yeah, yeah. It, they're even hiking even hacking into that to get the same level absolutely of with every like you also think about like man right now if i were to to go and read a thoughtful unbiased opinion on a on an important matter right now it would feel like eating my veggies right it would feel like the thing that's healthy for me that i need to do but doesn't taste good it's kind of boring yeah but man you give me a salacious overly baked simplistic thing that pisses me off it's like eating a nice piece of sugar you know it gives you that spike of emotion it gives you that capture my attention uh, and that's the problem is we have to unhook from that addiction and read and eat our veggies like, we do man, we do and this is really I, I mentioned earlier drew this idea of identifying fake news identifying skewed news and things like this and some of the work that we're doing but like i mean i have this in my own my own life when i'm trying to like look up something that is important. I want to find essentially um, the best, most informed information about a, like, a, like a topic. Many times I use multiple browsers, uh, you know, from like my regular IP address to a VPN with a proxy from different, different like countries to like using something like Tor. Multiple browsers search on exactly the same thing on exactly the same, uh, same search engine, yet get vastly different results. Wow. Vastly different results, right? And, and I noticed that, but, but it's really bothersome, right? Because, you know, I mean, how many people are really gonna do this? Like use three different computers, seven different right. browsers, mobile, whatever, but the, the results are not at all consistent, right? And yes. clearly it's not because the technology isn't good enough. It's yeah. because there are other factors 
that, that basically skew the machine learning to give me one set of results versus another versus another. Right. And, yeah. and unfortunately, that's kind of what's happening. That's, that's, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of what we're trying to, I think, you know, going back to what, what we're trying to do is, is I do. at least shed light on some of these, these kind of situations. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I do have a, like a question because it is curious and it is, you have such a unique perspective on it just with those browsers. Like one of the questions we like to ask is, you know, where as a CEO, like in your CEO role, where do you go for information? Like when you're facing a CEO challenge, where do you go for your information? So you mentioned the multiple browsers, almost thinking about, hey, how do we inform other founders? Where do they need to go to get the, the right data so that nothing's being manipulated? Maybe that's hey, they just learned just now, hey, you need to use multiple browsers to, to search that. But how do, you, how do you go about getting the information that you can trust so that you're making the best decisions when you're facing one of those CEO dilemmas in, in that sense? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I wish I had a silver bullet answer. What I, my, my thing, and this just probably is not very efficient, is a little bit effortful, right? You know, which is, the same information being searched on multiple tabs, multiple browsers, uh, and, and with slightly different possibly search mechanisms. I mean, I use, I use Google, I use, uh, um, the, what is it called, DuckGoGo. I, I use a couple of different search engines. Um, I, I especially like to use different proxies, uh, rather proxies. So the originating IP address is from different countries because you know, then what I'm seeing is that same question maybe being represented from a different point of origin, right? So, you know, again, it depends on, on the, you know, return on the investment, obviously. If I'm looking for something trivial that, that really is Wikipedia-centric, then it's just Wikipedia. But, but many times, some of these like, kind of questions um, that, that are subjective, uh, they, they really need you to do a little bit of digging. They, they, you know, if you take the very first answer you come across, invariably you get fed what somebody else wants you to, you know, mm -hmm. to believe. Yeah. Cool. Let's pivot just for one for one second. Uh, yeah. Back to something we actually talked about pre-interview and uh, said, hold on, hold on, let's wait and talk about this later. And then you just yeah. mentioned it a, a moment ago about, you know, that a company is made up of more than one person. Um, you mentioned earlier that one of the things that you actually have a high value for is something that could be seen as a soft skill or uh, maybe not as tangible, and that's culture. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love just to start about that. Start talking about that. Uh, how have you seen that play as an important role in the companies that you've run, been a part of, and what have you learned about establishing and utilizing great culture? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, I'm a real big believer in this. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning of, of, of your intro, um, I, I was the CEO, founder, co-founder with a couple of my friends at our media for 14 years. And, um, you know, one of the things I'm most proud about actually is, is well, well, a couple of things I'm very proud of. One, myself and my, my two friends, John and James, we started our media in, in 2002. We took about six months before we actually started the business, but those six months were spent actively thinking about what is it that we really want to do. I mean, really, and maybe in some, some cases we're naive and we had like five-year performers and things like this, most of which were, you know, like thrown out the window after first yeah. six months because we realized the reality of <laughs> what we're up to, um, you know. But what was never thrown out of the window was, was the time and effort we spent really articulating like what is our core value 
uh, what, what do we want to be like as, as founders and what do we want the company to be like and, and how do we want to accentuate and project that culture. So we really spent a lot of time on this, right? You know, and so, so the thing I'm, I'm most proud of is, so I left our media at the end of 2014 and a little trailing time for in 2015. So now it's 2020, right? Uh, so um, 18 years on from 18 and a half years on from uh, its founding, our media is still around. Uh, it's still doing well, still profitable in, in, the, in the time I was there, I think up to now. Uh, there's been no outside injection of money, no, no outside investors. It was run by us the way we wanted to run it, the old fashioned way, profitable, managed correctly with the same people all that time. That's a really rare thing. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I'm still like, even though I moved on because I had aspirations or whatever, I'm still very good friends with my you know, co-founders. They're still doing the business that they wanted to do and so on. You know, it just turned out I wanted to focus on products and healthcare. They wanted to do services and something else. But, but that's fine. The, the point, though, is, is that many of those kind of like trenches that we dug, you know, right at the beginning, they, you know, pre-zero, those are still there. Right, you know, so that's that to me is, is a point of pride, and then it's also something that that reverberates, like in my mind, and I think can be repeated and, and needs to be thought through. Um, we're, we're at the Acor, we're a software development company, and, and I saw this when I was at CBC and other companies, and you know, big and small, is in order for us, especially in in this day and age of really highly decentralized teams, people who don't, you know, they, they don't really. I mean, these days almost never get together in person, right? But when I was mentioning to you on this large team that, that I'm working on, we have about 70 engineers, where we have people in, in India and in Serbia and Ukraine and in um, California and in, in London and France. I mean, it's distributed, right? So in order for us to build good software, we need to have a really strong culture of building good software. And it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence, it's not like what we just, you know, I'm, you know we're, we're not Google, we can't afford to, you know, pay everybody, uh, you know, 3x the market rate and, and, and find the world's best engineers who already get all this stuff. And even then, you still have to have the right culture, don't get me wrong. The point, though, is, is in order for us to build good products, things that, that work, we need to have a way to be able to, at, at, at the kind of functional level, uh, not just in terms of team building and organization. We need to be able to articulate things in the same way. We need to understand what it takes to take big complex things and make them, make them manageable, make them chewable and, and, and you know, bite-sized, and then be able to like work across essentially every time zone, lots of different languages, lots of different teams, lots of different personalities to yet get us some kind of a cohesive product that, that meets our, our mission. That's not easy at all. I mean, I, I can I can literally kind of you yeah. know uh, kind of attest to this. It's one of the most difficult things to do. And people talk about like agile and and, and Scrum and, and you take complex projects and you iterate and, and you, you make it incremental. All of that is fantastic in theory, but what most people don't understand is the the trigger, the the the, the enabler for you to build software in that way, to automate and to do things in that way, is to have the culture. To have yeah. the, the right culture who can work in that way and understands what it takes to, to be able to build good products in that way. And I can 
I can really yeah. tell you that's, that's a very difficult thing to do. Let's, let's stay on that one for a second because I have a, like a subset question as it relates to that because you talked about teams. This is the perfect time, you know, in maybe civilization to like ask the question, like, how do you create a high performing team in a decentralized world? You've always, it sounds like probably been operating or at least for the, the recent uh, past been operating in a decentralized world. You already mm -hmm. kind of built it that way. Decentralization is even core to something that you're building in your, in your company. Um, we care a ton about building teams. And I personally, people asked about Zoom. I've operated on a decentralized team for uh, at least five years now, over five years. And so it's, it's very kind of commonplace, but it, it does take some intentionality. But yeah, what, what, what advice would you give? You know, what's your even philosophy around creating a high-performing team in a decentralized world? What do you do? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, so this will, this will sound a little bit cliche and, and you know, kind of um, dinosaur age advice, but I think it's true, it's, at least from my perspective. It's like, when you're dealing with people, um, we all have some higher order needs, right? Um, and we're all, regardless of our, our shape and size and color and creed or whatever, you know, we are fundamentally very, very, very similar. And I think it's really, first and foremost, it's really important that you invest um, as a leader and, and as, as co-workers, time and effort in knowing and um, understanding the individuals within the yeah. team, right? Yep. Because end of the day, I think you're going to get near culprits on dumbass things that you do if you have respect, if you have built trust and respect, which by the way, yep. is very ephemeral. You know, it's, it's not a forever thing. You have to constantly work at it, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Which kind of goes back to culture, right? And not, not everything, you know, I don't want to make everything circular. But the point is, you know, it's not a magical thing, you know, and, and, and you have to invest a lot of yourself and you have to kind of be vulnerable. You have to open yourself, you know, as, as somebody who can, who can be, um, who can be not just accessible, but it can be kind of emotionally and, and, and kind of um, psychologically open. Right. And that's a yeah. very difficult thing that many people are not like this. But I think end of the day, if, if you have a situation and, and it takes time too, by the way. I mean, I don't think this is yeah. this is not like an overnight, like you can't like compress it into a boot camp, right? Um yeah. I, I think and so I give you an example. My my partner Ben, you know, he and I have worked together for 10 years, right? From the Armida days when I hired him through many different projects and, and CDC and so on and so forth. So this is not an overnight thing, and then we don't necessarily see eye to eye in everything, but but we we've worked at it a long time. We have a lot of mutual respect, but we also project that mutual respect not just to each other but to our team, and we we demand that from our team, right? But but it's it's it's, it's kind of like the, the yin and yang where where you can't like it's not like some kind of an edict, you know, yeah. thou shall respect you know your your colleague. I mean. Yeah, you're going to say it, <laughs> it by be. saying it doesn't mean it happens, Yeah. right? So, so, so to me, this is, this is, that's at the crux of it. I think a lot of people yeah. I see, they I think just I have a don't. Part B. Yeah, go ahead. I think I have a part B to the question because the other question would be, how do you turn around the low-performing team? Because in some yeah. ways, people might be facing that right now yeah. where 
they have a low performing team and now they're in a decentralized world and they're just feeling, you know, shit out of luck. They're like, Oh gosh, what am yeah. I, what am I to do? What's your, it's really your tough. It's really tough. Uh, and, and it is, you know, I think, um, I mean, we have all face it up. I face it, you know, it's, it's not uncommon. Um, I think, you know, again, I, I hate to kind of be uh, redundant and, and seem like I only really have one or two things I go back to, but I, I guess maybe I am just simple-minded. To me, that is you know... It, that is clearly not true. <laughs> no, if there's one thing I you're not, it's simple-minded. To go me, this, it's, it's about clarity. It's about having expectations, having communications that are clear and reinforcing that clarity and, and, and a message and a tone that that you know doesn't doesn't create inconsistencies or discrepancies in terms of what it is that, that your objective is right because yeah, yeah i mean we all want to have and what we're trying to right you know project respect and, and work well and collaborate and things like this but we have jobs right i have a job if i don't yep. do my job my company probably will be out of business right yep. if my you know graphics designer or, or junior developer or senior developer, whoever, if they don't do their job, chances are our clients are going to, our products are not going to be good. We're going to be late. Our clients are going to be unhappy and we're going to lose our jobs. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I think it's this, this idea that, you know, we're, that there's a tone and, and there's a message that's both clear and consistent. Um, you know, and, and then honestly, at some point, you have to have some hard conversations, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not one, I don't believe in, in like trigger happy, you know, kind of like, like acts. I think people, you have to hire well, but you can always mishire for various reasons. But, but I believe in, 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 you know, having, providing um, both a runway as well as, as a level of, of kind of, um, uh, what would be a nice way of putting it? Just, just a, a longer leash, right? So, so we don't yank the leash the first time we go straight. Right, but anyway, there there are times as 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 an owner, as a CEO, as whatever leader, that you actually have to make hard decisions, you know. And, and I think so long as you have a process and you stick to it, uh, and the process is is somewhat equitable and fair, though uh, obviously people are not necessarily going to see it in that way in every case. Then that's the best you can do, you know. Yeah. But but, but like you have that. to make some decisions. The thought of driving clarity, because one, yeah. I love even naturally how how quickly you went to self orientation of like, hey, it could be a leadership issue and I haven't driven clarity for that team. Because I think that's that's really good. And I'm not even sure, you know, it felt subconscious to how you operate when you shared it. Where it's like, that is that that's typically not where people go to inspect what the issue is. They, they typically are assuming that they're clear and that they're wrong. And so I gotta go find out why they're being so stupid, you know? So I love just that, that yeah. natural orientation and then the willingness to have hard conversations, right? Yeah. Not to overprotect or to yeah. tiptoe around the conversations. Cause still what I find in those hard conversations and it goes back to your clarity piece is people still end up having the hard conversations at a high level without specifics. It, and they don't actually, because when they really get to the specifics, it, they really start to tingle. They really don't want to say that it was that one time at the meeting that they want them to, to stop that specific behavior. And they think that's yeah. the reason performances is the gap which is, I think, just fantastic. Uh, so let's jump to lightning round, man. Lightning round, final sure, five. Sure. Thank you for your time thus far. This has yes. been very educational, and uh, just we're grateful for it personally. 
But question number one, uh, if you can ingrain one message into your organization, what would it be? Um, own it. Own that's, it. that's the way I think about it. That's what I tell our team. Honestly, I feel like you, you get a lot more out of your job and, and your daily fulfillment by owning things. Yeah. Be the CEO of yourself. I love that. Uh, number two, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And what's the worst advice you've got? Uh, holy moly. Uh, single best advice. You know, I, I think um, that this idea of, of I may not be right, but I'm not confused is, is advice I actually got from a gentleman I have incredible respect for. His name is Howard Shaw. He was a founder of Documentum. He was on our media's advisory board. Uh, he was one of those people I was describing that I really respect. Um, listens way more than he speaks, but when he speaks, you better take notes because, you know, it's right on the cutting edge. So that's the best advice. Worst advice, I mean, I don't know. I, I think we probably have a filter for, for things that, you know, maybe are relevant to some people, but are not really relevant to you. So I, I don't know if, and, and I'm, yeah. I'm more of a, you know, again, I have a data scientist mindset that even bad data, uh, if you can analyze it, it's better than no data, right? Because yeah. it's very easy to cherry pick everything, right? You know, yeah. um, I would say that the, the kind of advice I don't really listen to, to be honest with you, is, is advice where, where, you know, everything is oriented to like an exit strategy or something very temporal or, or very, very kind of like um, one dimensional as a business. Yeah. I just feel like I'm not, that's just not the way I think. I, I don't. I didn't start ACOR because the exit strategy was my number one objective. Yep. Uh, that's great. And very clear uh, about you as well. Comes through. Number three, uh, being completely honest, what's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? Oof. Well, there's <laughs> operational fears on almost daily basis based on big things we're building. You know, yeah. I think um, I try not to be one with, you know, who lives in regret or fear or things like this. So it's not really kind of my DNA, to be honest with you. So yeah. I don't know if I have that. I think, you know, if I feel like there's a situation where we are underperforming or where we have promised certain things to a client and we're, for whatever reasons, we're not delivering, uh, whether it's my personal fault or, or you know, a team. I mean, I, to me, by the way, I, I don't differentiate between, like if, if, if the team didn't deliver something, you know, in my role, that's my problem, right? It's, it's not like I can't, yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's foolish to say, you know, to me as any kind of a leader to say, well, that's, you know, that was like Steve's problem. No, yeah. I mean, that was my problem. So, you know, it's, it's, it's at that kind of thing, but, but I don't, I don't tend to, you know, have this like um, rumination about, about things on a, on a yeah. kind of a, like a fear-based mindset. Yeah. Which is, is clear, but it does sound like, if you've made a promise to someone and that that it almost like begins to challenge integrity and that, that little stress delivery is very important to me, Jordan. Yeah, I think yeah. delivery is very important at the end of the day, whether it's individual, whether it's, um, you know, at a company level, like for instance, if I made a commitment to you, that I'll be here at 3 PM Eastern time, you know, on the 15th, well, that is, that's a reflection of me, yeah. my company, my family, so, you know, I take that seriously. So if, if you know, if I, if I didn't, uh, then, then I don't think, um, you know, I don't think me or, or the company would be, would be like 
progressing or would be taken seriously. So therefore, yeah. that's the kind of thing, like making, making good commitments and then delivering on commitments are important. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Uh, question number four, what's the dream result you're driving towards every day? I think it's what we described a little bit earlier, which is at this phase in my life is, is to have some kind of an impact. Impact that's measurable. And I feel like, like I mentioned again, I'm in a bloated industry where there is an enormous opportunity for innovators, entrepreneurs yeah. to make a little difference. And honestly, a small amount of difference will yield results, big results, dollar-wise and otherwise. And yeah. ultimately, we're talking about human lives, right? You know, I think I don't, to me, it's, it's so disrespectful to be flippant about like 200,000 people dying. You know, yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's, it's just... You know, if that number was 199,999 and, and I was even partially, you know, kind of um, involved in that one person, uh, you know, like being saved or being helped, then that to me is, is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. And then last question, if you could hop in into a, uh, into a DeLorean, you get to go back to the future for, uh, for five seconds to your past, you're going to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window, when would you go back and what would you say? Of course, it'll be uh, October 21st, 1955, and I'll say, um, <laughs> great, Scott, this is heavy. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <right. laughs> I'm, I may have the date wrong, but, uh, you know. It sounds right. It sounds like the movie. Yeah, it's close. It's probably <laughs> okay. close enough. It's, it's been a while since I watched it. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, on a more serious note, I think uh, – you know, if I could go back to, to any point in time, you know, it probably would be, um, you know, maybe earlier on in, in my kind of, um, uh, you know, like in, in the early days of, of Acor as we were building the company and things that there, there were like incredibly good lessons learned that were learned the hard way that could have been learned, you know, in a more you know, kind of considered way, <laughs> you yeah, know, with yeah. less, less uh, collateral damage. So that, that probably would have been, like, I'd have given myself some better advice along the way. And honestly, some of it is, is growth things that you kind of really have to go through. And if you haven't done it, it's hard to deal with. And, you know, like good people as example that you bring on that as the company grow, grows, you realize are no longer the fit for the jobs that, that you thought they yeah. needed to be in, you know, but, but, uh, but it's not an easy thing to do. And maybe you're not that experienced dealing in that kind of situation. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's interesting. The last founder we had on when we played that question, I think it was that question, his memory went right back to his first round of layoffs and him walking these employees to the elevator. And it's just interesting how when someone cares and it's, it's like something Maybe could have been avoided, maybe couldn't have been, but you, it still sticks out as like a, wow, that was, a, that was an intense time in my, my past, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. uh, well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has definitely been one of the longer ones for a very good reason, which is incredible conversation. Uh, thank you for showing up, man. You showed up here and put your heart into it, your mind into it. You went deep with us on questions, and I know we valued from it. I'm willing to bet our audience valued from it as well. And so thank you one more time for being on the podcast today. Sure. Thank you. We have, I appreciate your time and hopefully it's uh, interesting to your audience. Yeah, thank you. Jim. All right. Thank you. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.